Thanks, Johnny. Good morning, brothers and sisters. I trust you've had a good week. Uh, please keep praying. We have various things that are coming up that Amanda's running as well. We have the uh, the, the Operation Christmas Child that, that she's going to be doing, and as well as the Gingerbread House. Pray for other things and other situations that are being undertaken as well. Um, I'm talking with some people. We're going to get some other things organized, um, and prayerfully we'll be doing some various things to be able to benefit and bless each other within the church family. Um, we've been going through a series of our church's core values, and what I find interesting is that one of my children had a bit of a growth spurt, and we went to a pediatrician, and, and they said what he needs to work on is his core. Um, we need to work on his core strength. Once his core strength is sort of worked on, that'll help with his posture, uh, sort of standing upright. You know, being as tall as I am, I have a tendency of slouching and, and my knuckles dragging on the ground. And so we want to work on that and, and have, our, have our cause strengthened. Uh, it's like you have any type of sports team with the, the, the heyday of the Wallabies with the likes of Georgie Gregan and, and Stephen Larkham and uh, just some great players, a core that they built around. Uh, look at basketball teams, the, the likes of, say, LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis and the core that they build around. So it's important for us then to understand what our core values are as a church. We've looked at so far three core values, which I consider to be foundational for our DNA as a church. We have the, the person of Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church and central to all that we do. We have the Holy Spirit, who empowers us for ministry and develops our character. And then we had the Word of God, the Holy Bible, the final authority in all matters concerning faith and conduct. These three core values are foundational, and everything that follows from this stem from this foundational reality. And so I want you guys to have a look at our core values and be reminded of, if we can strengthen our core, then everything else that stems from that not necessarily becomes easier, but we're more equipped to endeavor or to attempt these things. Hence, we move on to the first expression from this core of our fourth value, that of evangelism. I'm going to read what our core value states. It says this, lost and needy people matter to God and to us. We seek to bring to know God through community outreaches. Oh, sorry, we seek to bring them to know God through community outreaches, missions, and church planting. Now, straight away, when you hear the word evangelism, I reckon pictures of street preachers or door knockers or even altar calls come to mind. It is a common word that is flung around church circles, but it has a very interesting expression within church circles when you think of this word. According to a study done, now I've been a Christian for 30 years. Well, I've been a Christian for 30 years. Yeah, had to work that one out. I've been a Christian for 30 years, and when I first became a Christian, this was the statistic made about those who actively and intentionally evangelize, actively and intentionally share their faith. So, three decades ago, the statistic was 2% of Christians today, of, yeah, this was back then, 2% of Christians actively and intentionally evangelize. 2%. So for a church of 100 people, one Maybe two people are intentional about sharing their faith with Jesus. 
uh, about Jesus, should I say. That's a pretty abysmal statistic. But my intention for today's message as we look at today's core value is not to condemn, it's not to pass judgment, it's not to shake my finger at you and say bad Christian because I include myself in that statistic as well. I include myself as part of the 98 or 99% who lacks in stepping out in faith, who has been fearful of approaching or initiating a conversation with a complete stranger about Jesus, or has been even a bit hesitant or apprehensive about directing a conversation to the things of God. Now, we know our lives as Christians revolve around the hub who is Jesus Christ from which stems these various things that are, I guess you could say, considered standard of our Christian life. Things like fellowship, things like prayer, things like Bible reading, and things like evangelism. And yet, it is this last aspect that I think most of us, as the statistic shows, we have difficulty in fulfilling. Now, we know, we know we're supposed to share our faith. It is told in the Great Commission of Matthew 28. It's reiterated of the Great Commission in Mark chapter 16. And we also know, as Jono just, I see this is a God thing, as Jono shared this morning, that we have been given the power to be able to fulfill that calling in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. His very spirit that enables us, who empowers us and develops us to fulfill that instruction given to us by our Lord. To go and to tell others. One of my favorite authors, Watchman Nee, and I, I remember I actually read this quote maybe, maybe 10, 15 years ago, uh, it's a while ago. I don't know if you remember it, but I think it's a really apt quote regarding what we're going to look at today. He says this, It is absolutely impossible for a person to have light and not to shine, as there is no tooth that does not chew, no fountain that does not flow, so there is no life that does not beget life. Whosoever has no interest to help people repent and believe in the Lord may himself need to repent and believe in the Lord. So we are going to open it a word of prayer and let's look at our fourth core value and how the Lord may convict us by His Spirit, challenge us by our Spirit, but also empower and enable us by His Spirit to fulfill this calling He's placed in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we call upon Your name now and ask that You, by Your Spirit, will minister to each of us. Father, we know, including myself, where we have failed, where we have kept silent, when we, have, when we know we should have spoken up. We have made wrong choices when we know we should have been obedient to your word. When we know that we have resisted the spirit as you've prompted our heart to speak and to make known the wonderful love of Jesus to those who don't know you. I ask that this morning's message will be a message that will not discourage but rather encourage, that will enable, that will excite our hearts about the privilege we have to hold this gospel message in our hands and to live it out and proclaim it for your glory. So we ask now that you speak to us personally, directly, and intentionally through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I had a look in the dictionary what the word evangelist or evangelism means. That's what it means. 
the preaching or promulgation of the gospel, the work of an evangelist or evangelicalism, missionary zeal, purpose, or activity. Okay? Evangelism is an act usually propagated by one titled as an evangelist. And that's a word that's only actually used three times in the Bible. Okay? The first time is in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, when it's made reference to Philip the evangelist. Philip, who was one of the deacons that was nominated, well, not nominated, but appointed by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. The second time it's mentioned is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, when Paul identifies the five-fold or the five fingers of ministry that the Lord Jesus provides for the church to be able to build them up and equip the saints. We have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The third time it's mentioned is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, when Timothy is encouraged to do the work of an evangelist, which right there gives us a point where we can take encouragement. See, the preaching of the gospel has been and will always be the most, I guess you could say, the most utilized means to which the gospel is preached, or which the gospel is communicated. I know I've shared before the wonderful line by St. Francis Assisi when he says, always share the gospel and sometimes use words. Well, that is so true, but it's by the preaching of the cross that people come to know Christ. It is by the preaching of the cross that the gospel goes forth because it is the preaching of the cross that the enemy seeks to discredit. We look in 1 Corinthians where we read that the preaching of the cross is to those that perish foolishness. Thus the preaching, the verbal communication of this wonderful message is what we have been entrusted to tell and to extend the kingdom of God. I mean, we learned this last week when we looked at the Word of God. God works through His Word. Tim Keller said, God's Word is His deed, for God's Word is His power. God's Word is power, which is why the enemy seeks to take away this avenue of proclamation. The enemy is seeking to discredit the Word of God or, in turn, discredit the preachers of God's Word. But why I say we take encouragement from this is because evangelizing is more than just preaching. It is the promulgation of the gospel too. I had to look in the dictionary once again as to what promulgation means. Who knows what promulgation means? I know Jimmy would knew that. I knew Jimmy would raise his hand. He's such a smart guy. Okay, But promulgation means to make known a law or to declare publicly which can be done through action as well as speaking. And so in accordance with our core value, there are two things I want to share with you guys today. One, prayerfully, we're going to look at the heart behind evangelism, the motivation. And two, we're going to look at the ways evangelism has been made available to us, or meaning the means. So we're going to look at the ways and the means, or the motivation and the means, should I say. Firstly, the motivation. Now, Something that I've learned over the years is that, even as a Christian, how much of my life revolved around me. How my ethnicity made me stand out. How my ministry made me appear. How my actions communicated my character. Attitudes that screamed to me that I was the center of my universe and that people around me... and. Please don't take this the wrong way. Even I think God himself 
were players that determined how successful or unsuccessful I was as I navigated this thing called life, especially in evangelism, where I would look at, when I would share my faith, I would not share my faith because they needed to hear the gospel, but because I had a story to tell somebody else. I confronted people not because they needed Jesus, but so I could say that I shared with some antagonistic, antagonistic non-Christians and was persecuted for the faith. I challenged people not because I loved them and was concerned for their spiritual security, but rather so I could debate with them and say that I won an argument. Not to say that God didn't use me or use those opportunities. Remember, I mean, some people even came to the Lord, even with some motivation as selfish as what I, this is me looking, now please, it wasn't like I come to this conclusion like yesterday, I've been doing this all my whole Christian life. I'm saying as I look back over the last 30 years, these are the things that I've been able to identify about how much I was involved in doing this. Now, remember though, the quality is in the seed, not in the sower. The quality is in the message, not in the messenger. And so God in his grace, God in his mercy, God in his goodness still used even me in my selfishness to bring people to come to know himself, which I am completely and totally humbled by and thankful for. The grace of God is so great in that. But to solely have that as my motivation results in me eventually getting weary of doing this or having the complete wrong perception of what evangelism is, that I'm just looking for another notch on my belt, that I'm looking for another tag that I can count up my tally to say what I have done for God. Now, this may be you, this may not be you. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but what I can tell you is that it was a hindrance for me. And when God revealed this to me and he humbled that for me, the grace of God is such that I could repent of such things as God opened my eyes. Which, how did he do this? And I think it's what our core value, the first part of our core value is so exciting. The first part of our core value says this. It begins, lost and needy people matter to God. Lost and needy people matter to God. Now, you can either be moved by, by that thought or by that, 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 that idea with compassion or you can dismiss it with apathy. But this is the reality that really opened my eyes that people matter to God. The lost matter to God. The needy matter to God. You matter to God. So much so, you look at what the gospel message promotes. That when God looked and saw sinners in need of saving, when he looked and saw you lost in your trespasses and sins, when he saw you in the need of a saving, in need of rescue, what did he do? He went because of his love for you. That's it. Because of his love for you and for me. That's it. Nothing else. He saw need. He saw my lostness. Have you seen old, okay, I won't say that, elderly people. I said, old people sound so rude. But have you seen older people and they just look lost? And, you, and your heart goes out to them because you want to help them. And they're just sort of like, 
and you know they're lost. They have that appearance of being lost. Adam Saeed's laughing. It must have happened just recently for Adam Saeed. Either that or that's how he sees me. He's like, oh. But that's what happens when you see that. Your heart goes out and you want to reach out to them. That's us. Before we came to know Jesus, lost in our trespasses and sins, need of saving and deliverance from that sin and from the consequences of sin, us walking around seeking some direction in life that Jesus reached out, that he came down, he contextualized everything God is in human form. He clothed himself, adorned himself in human flesh. He went through all of that so we could be found and have our needs met. And see, this is why I say the motivation. See, when I've, I've looked at and I've studied so many different methods of evangelism, and what I've looked at in all of those various methods, the, the, these do's and don'ts seem to always focus on the tools that we use. It doesn't actually address the heart behind the way those tools are used. It doesn't look at internally. So, I mean, tactics. Tactics is a great tool to use, and I've used that tool so many times in my discussions with the thing, about the things of God to people. I've, I've done Share Jesus Without Fear. There was the EE evangelism explosion that we've done through the church. There are so many tools, but there's nothing that actually addresses the reasons why or the reasons how we use these tools. And I think one of the best ways for us to look at this is start at the basics. Let's start at the beginning. Let's look at the head of the church, Jesus Christ. In several examples shown by the Lord Jesus, we see this amazing heart of compassion. That he is moved by the lostness and their need of other people. In Matthew 9, we read this, how he travels all through towns, villages, and synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and how he is moved with compassion, for he saw them all as sheep without a shepherd. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, he sees them as directionless. You, you read when he says in Zacchaeus' home in Luke 19, once salvation come upon him, we read this in Matthew 19, 10, the Son of Man came to what? Seek and save the lost. You see this expressed by Jesus' deep sorrow when he wept at the tomb of Lazarus in John eleven thirty five. But he wept not because his friend was dead. He wept because he saw Mary and, and Martha who were just broken and they were weeping and they were sad at the loss of their brother. And when he explained to them that he is the resurrection of the life, he wept because they couldn't see the hope that stood right in front of them. They couldn't see everything Jesus is. He wept because he's like, I'm right here. I'm your hope. I'm your life. I'm the one that conquers death. I'm the one right here in front of you. And they didn't see him. That's why he was moved for compassion. And if you remember when we looked at the widow's son in Luke chapter 7, it was him being moved with compassion where he went to her and said, don't cry, and then raised the son from the dead. I think for a lot of us as Christians, because we've been so caught up in life and its busyness, in life and our mortgage, in life and our kids, in life and our marriages, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but I do think that that has deadened us or deadened our heart of compassion for others. And I, I have to admit, I, I include myself in this. See, we all know the information and all the biblical facts in relation to a person's state. 
And we know that the only way our motivation can be changed is if our hearts are changed. And we can't change our hearts. That's our problem. The way we see things, that has to be changed. But we can't change the way we see things. That's something only God can do. Now, our motivation, we know, according to 2 Corinthians 5.14, that it's the love of Christ that compels. We know that. But it's also to be a love of people, which is not natural to you and I. We don't naturally love people, especially people that get on our nerves. I remember one time Pastor Ben shared, this is going back a number of years, but I remember he shared that he prayed one night and he asked the Lord to give him, I didn't ask Pastor Ben if I could share the story, Pastor Ben, I'm sorry, um, but he, he shared that he asked the Lord to give him his heart for the lost, to give him his heart for the world. And, and Pastor Ben shared that it was just like he was just enveloped by this overwhelming grief and sadness because there were so many people that did not know Jesus. That there were so many people who were going to an eternity in hell separate from him. And he, and he, actually, he actually prayed, oh Lord, just, is this how you feel? Is this how you feel when you look around and you see people that are lost? When you see people that are in need? And that can only be brought about in each of our hearts if we ask the Lord to do that. It can only happen from the inside out. We can't, we can't do like that. I mean, sure, you can fake it till you make it, I guess. You could try that. You'll get frustrated. But to have a genuine heart to see people the way God sees them, to love people the way God loves them. So you see, if people matter to God, then they are... To matter, so then they are, as our church value states, our core value states, they are to matter to us as well. Therefore, we are to pray that the Holy Spirit who empowers us and develops our character would take the biblical truths of God's word, that final authority in all matters of faith and conduct, to renew our minds, to grow our faith, to conform us to the image of of Jesus Christ, the head of the church and central to all that we do. It's only what he can do. It's only something that he can bring about. And when he does, you and I, when he prompts you, when the Spirit of God prompts you where things need to be changed, you know what, means that, you know what that means that you have to do? That means you have to respond. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I don't want you to sit there and say, well, Lord, I don't really feel like doing this, therefore I won't do this. I'm not saying that. I'm saying let's ask God to change our motivation so that when we do do it, we're doing it for the right reasons. But just because you don't feel like doing it, if we only ever did things that we felt like doing, imagine the amount of trouble that we would get into. Imagine all the things that we wouldn't do. I don't feel like changing my baby's nappy. They're all right. I don't feel like giving money to this person to help him out. I don't feel like eating right now. I don't think I'll ever eat. You don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to wait. Sometimes you just do things because you know it's the right thing to do. But I do know this. When, when God changes your heart, when God changes your heart, then the stuff that even that you don't like doing but you know you have to, that equips you, that empowers you, that enables you to do it because you're doing it to honor who your Lord and Savior is. 
It's like that throwback to Yoki Bear. If you remember on Mother's Day, there was a couple of points. And one of the points I liked was this. You do the best that you can with what is in your control. And with the things that are out of your control, you entrust that to the Lord. So what are the things you can do? You can read your Bible. You can be praying. Come to church and fellowship. You can still reach out. You can still show the love of Jesus. You can do a lot of those things. But a motivation of one's heart for it to be lasting, for it to be genuine, for, it to, for, for something to be transformative in your whole life, that has to come by the Spirit of God. Which moves from our motivation to the means. And when you look at the means, the various avenues are numerous on how you can share or evangelize your faith. Thus, the importance is for you and I to be sensitive to the Lord's leading as to what way best fits what circumstance. My approach to evangelism back in the old days was like this big blanket. It was one thing for everything. All right, all right, this one, boom. And I just do a big blanket thing. And I go, okay, let's, that's how we go. So how I would share to, say, an elderly person of 88, 89 was the exact same way I shared to a person that was eight or nine didn't really work okay it's sort of like just a big blanket thing and because circumstances are different people are different situations are different I look around here everybody's different if I asked each of you your testimony you'll all share your testimony how God revealed themselves to you individually in your context because all of you are different which I think is very exciting so I've looked at maybe several of these things and I want you to think about them, but also think about other aspects of Scripture, all right? Various means by which God has made available to us to evangelize those around us. Here's the first one. The power of a transformed life. Your testimony. In Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Now, we know this story because I've referenced it numerous times. But to give you a bit of a background, Jesus has traveled along, comes to a place called the Gazarenes in Luke 8, in verse 26 where he's confronted by a demon-possessed man. Jesus asks this demon-possessed man, what's your name? We're speaking to the demons. He says, we're legion, for we are many. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. The demons recognize who Jesus Christ is. I'm just always excited by this. The authority that Jesus Christ, just his very presence, the demons recognize. And say, oh, we know who you are. We know that you're the Son of God. And he says, please send us to the herd of pigs. So the Lord Sends them to the herd of pigs. So in Luke chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, all the people come out. So the, when, the, when the demons go into the pigs, pigs all run to the ocean and they all die. Now, in verse 38 and 39 of chapter 8, we read this. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. Oh, sorry. But Jesus sent him away saying, oh, I've skipped a bit. There we go. Sorry. So all the time. Sorry. So, backtrack. Pigs drown themselves. People come out. The, the, the pig herders explain what had happened. They see how Jesus is standing there with the demon-possessed man now in his right mind. They all freak out, and they start begging him. In Matthew chapter 8, we read that they beg him to leave. They beg him. To, they want Jesus gone because they're afraid. Oh, what's going on here? Then we read in verses 38 and 39 that the man wants to go with Jesus. So the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But look at this. Jesus sent him away saying, verse 39, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done 
for him. Now, what did he know? Well, nothing, really. He knew who Jesus was, and he knew what took place in his life. What information could he share? It's not like he was full of scripture, not like someone preached the gospel to him or anything like that. He just experienced Jesus. What biblical truths were demonstrated? It was nothing but a transformed life and the testimony of what happened when he had met Jesus and how he was changed from the inside out. And regardless of what people thought, regardless of what they believed, regardless of what they wanted to see, the evidence was right in front of them. So much so that in verse 40, we read this. When Jesus returned, so Jesus goes, this man's going around sharing his life with people, the power of a transformed life. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. They went from being someone says, leave, you've got to leave. We want you out of here because they were afraid. The power of a transformed life changed their mindset completely. We, were, we welcome you. Come back, Jesus. It changed from fear and begging him to leave to the welcome and expectation of his return. Never underestimate the effect you can have in the lives of those around you. A witness does nothing else but testify of what they have seen, what they have heard, and what they have experienced. You read that in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. That which we have seen with our eyes, which we heard, which we have handled of, the very, very person of Jesus Christ. And that is a means available to each and every one of us, the way we live. Secondly, the privilege of dialogue. If you look at Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 3, if you remember, Alex Stark came about, he was actually the 10th of November, 2019, I looked it up. He came and he shared about evangelism from Acts 17. And we'll have a listen to it when you have a chance. Tim, Tim Keller explains a really good word. If you've got your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 17. I'm just going to read the first three verses to you. I'm reading from my uh, CSB. So, Jesus spoke these things. Oh, I'm reading John chapter 17. So sorry. Here we go. Acts 17. Here we go. Acts 17. After they passed from Amphipolis to Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. The word I want to focus on there is in verse 2. It's the word reasoned. That word reasoned comes from the Greek word dialegomai. Dialegomai. Sorry about my Greek pronunciation. But it's where we get our English word dialogue from. Which implies it's not about showing up there and preaching at people, but rather promoting a discussion. Actually, Tim Keller gives a great explanation. He says it's actually looking at various views and allowing the views to, I guess you could say, contradict themselves. It's basically taking it apart from the inside. And that's the power of dialogue, to be able to sit down and discuss with people. One of the greatest criticisms I've heard over the years as a Christian was, oh, you're just so closed-minded. You're not open to anything else. Oh, there's nothing wrong with being open. What's that old saying? Don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. 
it's not about being like that. It's about, okay, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy listening to people's views. I enjoy listening to people's ideas. One of the great things about the school that I work at is that I get to dialogue. And some of the great discussions you have with people that open up a means by which you can share Jesus with them is to sit down and ask them a question. So what do you think about who God is? What's your view on about Jesus Christ? How do you view this and that and the other? And you just, and you just promote dialogue. Why? Because people love. People love giving their opinions. People love giving their thoughts. And one of the strategies that I've always used was when people give their thoughts, my response has been always, okay, the Bible teaches something a little bit different. Are you open for me to share with you what the Bible teaches regarding these things? And if they say to me, no, then I was like, okay, thanks for your time. If they say yes, okay, let's have a discussion. Um, one great line was a gentleman by the name of Frank Turek. He's an apologist. One of his great questions is this. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? That's a great question. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? If they say no, then it's like they don't really, they're not interested in truth because you've asked them, because they want to hold to their opinion. I used this on a Welshman once, that question with a Welshman. And he was like, I said to him, if Christianity is true, would you become a Christian? Because the Welsh have a great history of, of Christian sort of like upbringing. And he said, he said to me, no, even if, you, if Christianity were true, I wouldn't become a Christian. And I says, why, bro? And he goes, because there's too many things that I, I disagree with, even if it's true. And he goes, yeah. Well, there's no point carrying the conversation on. If they say yes, then it enables me to interact with them a bit more regarding that. But that is the power of dialogue. 1 Timothy 1, though, speaks to this. It says that in the King James, just beware to shun vain and profane babblings because they will increase unto more ungodliness. In other words, don't get into an argument for the sake of getting into an argument. Nothing nothing good happens from that. For those who've done the tactics thing, one one line that... uh, um, that uh, Greg Kokel uses is as soon as you raise your voice, as soon as you raise your voice, you've lost the discussion. And there's no need to. So there's that one as well. We are to be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is in us with gentleness and respect. So we have the power of a transformed life. We have the privilege of dialogue. We also have this, the providence of God's word. Turn to Acts chapter 8. We're just going to read a little bit. So Philip Philip is instructed by an angel of the Lord to go to a certain place in 8.26. On the way, he comes upon an Ethiopian. An Ethiopian eunuch was heading back home after he was worshipping in Jerusalem in verses 27 to 28. This is one of those divine appointments set out by the Lord. For in the time that Philip meets up with him here, we find the following, starting from verse 29. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip 
began with the very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. There are divine appointments set out all around you. It's most of the times we don't recognize it, but it's where God is working in the people in your life, where God is working with your workmates and with your, with your family members, where God is working with your neighbors, where you just happen to be walking across at a particular time to hear a particular thing that enables you to say the right word at the right time for the glory of God. That's exactly what happens here. And the thing is, this is the, the blessing of scripture the providence of god's word we are told that don't we're not to worry about what we think or what we say that the holy spirit will give us the right thing to say at the right time how many of you have experienced that how many of you experienced as you step out by faith and sought to share something with someone and god is giving you the right words to say at that particular time i think a lot of us we, we don't get excited or don't get excited about evangelizing because we, we're too fearful to step out by faith and see what God will do. Oh, I still remember, I used to go door knocking back in New Zealand, and I remember this elderly man, this elderly man, I, I sat down on, on his foot, he was sitting down the steps, so I sat down on his pathway, and we are just having a bit of a chat, and he said, his perception was, he goes, it's unfair that God would hold us accountable for everything in the world because of a choice that Adam and Eve made. And I was like, yeah, I don't have been a Christian for maybe a couple of years. And I says to him, I said, yeah, I understand what you're saying, bro. He says, but if, if our prime minister, if our prime minister did something and they made a choice on behalf of all the people, we have to suffer the consequences because they're the ones in leadership, right? And he goes, well, yeah. And I says, well, that's the same case with Adam. Adam was the one that made a choice. And as the subjects, we suffer the consequences of the choice because he's the one that headed everything up. And he goes, oh, I didn't know that. And I was like, wow. And that was all a God thing. That had nothing to do with me because I am not that smart. And I was like, thank you so much, Lord, to be able to give me that illustration to communicate that truth. But you don't know the promises of Scripture are real if you don't put yourself in a situation to trust in those promises. This is the providence of God's Word. The providence of God's Word. People will sit there and say, oh, well, I don't believe God's Word. Okay, whether you believe it or not, it doesn't change the fact that it's true. I don't believe the sun's going to rise tomorrow. It doesn't change the fact that the sun will rise. Okay, regardless, regardless of how you feel about it, whether you like it, whether you choose to believe it or not, doesn't change the reality of his existence. And that's the third one, the providence of God's word. Or the last one, the pointing of people to Jesus. In John chapter 1, verses, 1, uh, verses 35 to 42 and 43 to 51. I've always liked this. I'm not going to spend much time here. But we started with the example of Jesus and the way he evangelized. And we look now at, at, at the, example of Jesus, the example of Jesus again. Okay? And in this case, it's just a plain invitation for people to find out. When Andrew and Philip follow Jesus, John the Baptist announces him. Then some of John's disciples follow him. They, Jesus confronts them and asks what's going on. Andrew and Philip, Rabbi, we want to know where you're staying in verse 38. Jesus says this. He doesn't try to convince them. He doesn't give them his identity. All he says in verse 39 is this. Come and see. No convincing. No manipulation, just you want to know? Come and find out. Andrew then goes to his brother Simon and brings him to Jesus in verse 42. And like manner, Philip does the same thing with Nathaniel. And when he's there with Nathaniel, Nathaniel doubts Philip and says, he says, we found the Messiah, he's from Nazareth. And he goes, what good thing comes out of Nazareth? And so Philip says to him in verse 46, come and see. 
which is more than enough for Nathaniel to come and know Jesus personally. Sometimes we don't have to be trying to convince people. We can just sit there and say to them, come and find out. I'll give you all the information that you need. You make your decision. But come and find out. Come and see. Or it might be the providence of God's word. This is what the Bible says. It might be the, the privilege of dialogue as you sit down and have a discussion with an individual. It might be you just pointing them to Jesus. It might be the person or the, the power of your testimony, the power of a transformed life. But the reason why I take each of these examples, as well as the numerous means which I haven't touched on, is that each of them pivot on the relationship one shares and the context of each circumstance that you're in. Evangelism is not about proving a point to knock people down a few pegs. It's not a vessel whereby we are viewed as a gifted orator to make other people look stupid. It's about how we as sinners saved by grace have been given the opportunity to freely give to others that same grace of which we have freely received. It's about us having a heart of compassion. It's about us actually loving people because we see them as lost because we see them in need. It is the gospel that transforms lives, that takes them from darkness to light. It is a message that gives people hope when they're feeling hopeless. It is the message that gives people comfort when they're going through chaos. It is the answer to all the questions that people have in life, an answer that we hold in our hands right now. If anything, evangelism is us merely sharing with them the love that we have experienced. And we have this privilege of pointing people to Jesus to be that witness of that love that he has for people. This is what evangelism is to be. This is the motivation that should stir us to move and share this wonderful message that has changed our lives. It's the truth of John 3.16 that permeates our lives so we are compelled by his life, sorry, compelled by his love, moved by his heart as conduits of his compassion. That we reach out to the lost and needy people who matter to God and how they matter to us. That we seek to bring them to know God through these community outreaches, through these missions, and through church planting. This is the opportunity that each of us... Now, I, I have, I've, I've had this vision, I guess you could say, for the church for the last few years, and, and, and prayerfully we'll be moving in the, in the right direction, but to have a culture where each individual here has a heart for the lost and to reach out to the people in your circle, to the people in your sphere, whether it be your children, whether it be your neighbors, whether it be your work friends, whether it be your colleagues, whoever it might be, but that each of us would be active in doing so and, and utilizing the avenues made available to us. Because I've found that when there are people that I know and that I care for, I am more willing to share with them the truth of Jesus Christ because I know them personally. And I'm praying that God will change that heart that will not only go to those people that I know, but even to those that I don't. But that is only a change that he can bring about. So, my challenge 
for us this week, brothers and sisters, as we look at our core value and, and us reaching out to those around us is this. I want you to spend the next three days praying for one person to share with. One person. Go home today, write down that name. Pray for that person faithfully for the next three days, and on the fourth day, approach them. Approach them and just say, can I talk to you about Jesus? Now, which, okay, once, it sort of seems contradictory to everything I just said now, and I've told you to do that. But let's pray for a heart of compassion for, those, for that person. Let's, let's see what God will do as we, we want to yield and grow within us as a church a heart of outreach, a heart that beats in time with his, a heart that is not willing to see any perish, but that all come to repentance. Let's pray for that one person, someone we know, someone we love, someone we don't want to see go to hell. And let's reach out to them so that they too can come to know the joy that you know. So we're not going to close in a song today. I can see Ellie smiling. What we are going to do is we're going to pray, okay? And so um, I'm going to pray, but when I close, and we'll probably shut off online, I want people to pray for each other as well. Pray for this heart to reach out. Pray for this heart that is God's heart. And that we might be active with the gospel that's given us life. That we might truly be doing the work of an evangelist. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. So much for the examples that you've given us. So much for the power that has been imbued upon us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We thank you so much for the fact that you came to this earth to save us who were lost and in need of salvation. We thank you so much that your heart of love and of mercy and of grace is expressed in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this gospel, this gospel message that is the power of God unto salvation. I pray for us as a church that we would be doers of your word, that we would be obedient to your call, that we would be the city on a hill, the light that shines brightly, the bearers of the word of life, and that we'll be proclaimers and promulgators of your gospel so that others around us will come to know the same love, the same joy, and the same grace that we have. Freely we have received, and you call us to freely give. Father, please help us do that willingly. Please give us the courage and the boldness to reach out with this gospel message that is life. So we ask for you to dismiss us now. Please have your will be done in each of our lives. For your glory and in your name we ask. Amen.